The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Dr. Connie House Calls for this week. You know, I had planned this episode, uh, this show today, to focus on presidential assassination, presidential attempts. But before uh, that was going to happen, a lot of things happened this week. And it reminded me of my old days in the Beltway. And I'm going to call this part of the episode the Battle of the Bulge. Okay, I'm going to share with you the Battle of the Bulge. All began on Tuesday. I was sitting in clinic, seeing patients, usual day. And my office staff says, you have Jim Acosta from CNN. And he wants you to make a comment as former White House doctor for nine years uh, about Governor Christie and the issue of his weight slash obesity and running for office. And I said, well, okay, let me see what Jim wants to do. So they had me watch uh, Governor Christie's uh, performance on David Letterman uh, the night before where he bit into a donut. And uh, CNN says, well, what do you think? What's your response? And I said, honestly, I don't think it's funny. I think it's very sad. And they said, when you see somebody like this, what what do you think? And I said, well, as a physician of 32 years, board-certified internal medicine, White House doctor for nine years, director of the White House Medical Unit, I look at somebody like that, and I think of my patients, uh, very similar in that condition, and I say, my goodness, that person definitely looks like he has a medical issue, perhaps. I'm trying not to diagnose him from afar because I haven't read his records. I haven't examined him. But all I can think of is, oh, my goodness, there are some health issues I'm worried about. And those health issues are hypertension, diabetes, heart attack, stroke, sleep apnea. So it doesn't look healthy to me. So they did the interview, and then next thing I went to lunch, came back, and then it blew up. It blew up where uh, headlines came out. Former White House doctor says Governor Christie is a time bomb. Well, it's like, wow, I got his attention. So more calls came in. The next morning, Wednesday, I'm in clinic seeing patients, and I get a call from the governor from New Jersey. And uh, with respect to what he asked, that I not divulge the details of that conversation. All I can say, uh, he wasn't very happy. Okay, So uh, that started the firestorm back and forth, back and forth. Um, I spoke with Wolf Blitzer this afternoon, back again, just clarify the message, make it clear, I thought, I thought I'm consistent. And really, you know, I've got lots of hate mail, but I also got a lot of good mail. I'm going to share with you the good mail, okay, because I think it's worth listening to, because I don't think people heard it quite what, and I think they don't reflect, they react. I, I'm going to share, and I won't give people's last names because I don't want them to be attacked, 
I have an email from Carol. She says, Dr. Mariano, congratulations on giving Governor Christie good advice. You did the right thing. I called his office and told him if he was concerned how his son felt he would lose weight to improve his health. I also said why people should support him for office if he cannot deal with his own health problems and that being obese is a serious problem. Thank you so much for your thoughts. You have my vote. I'm sorry not running for office. Um, Another note from Bruce, who used to be with me at the White House. He was uh, a colonel in the Air Force. He says, Dr. Mariano, you're the best. Keep speaking truth to power. Thanks again for the super care you gave me when I uh, was overseas in Jakarta. Another one from a detective in Texas. Men in uniform, Dr. Mariano, I would like to say that the attacks made against you by Governor Christie were unfair and totally out of line. As you were a career Navy physician and retired flag officer, I put far more credibility in you than I ever would with Governor Christie. More and more about that. Thank you, detective. Uh, email here from Dr. Jerry Law, who's appeared on my show. He's an addiction specialist. He says, thank you for taking a stand on the issue of Governor Christie's weight. He is indeed a walking time bomb and clearly needs to take action for his own good. You're a brave woman for speaking the truth. Thank you, Dr. Law. William in Philadelphia sends his support on voicemail. Uh, we have an email from Barbara. So glad you pointed out the health dangers, which are a consequence of being as grossly obese as Chris Christie is. I would never vote for a politician who's grossly obese because he cannot control his own life, so why let him be in control of mine? He would be an excellent candidate for Biggest Loser. Okay, Barbara, thank you for your opinion. Uh, We have an email from Mark. He says, hello, Dr. Mariano. You were my patient for four to five years when I was having executive physicals in Scottsdale. I doubt you would remember me, but I saw you on TV this week and just felt compelled to try to contact you and say hello. I retired at 55 and went into my own consulting business. Uh, I travel around. Um, I am working out five days a week at the YMCA due to your advice many years ago, and I will always appreciate that. Thank you, Mark. Glad you're doing well. Another email here uh, from uh, somebody uh, named Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Dr. Mariano, uh, your response, your comments about the New Jersey governor, he responded that you had no business, quote, diagnosing him from Arizona. I'm not a doctor or involved in medicine, but I did not take your comments as a diagnosis. Thank you, Jeff. I took them as an expression of your concern for him and not a criticism in any way. Too bad he got defensive and he didn't take the comments to heart. I think what you said was right on the mark. He ought to get serious about getting his weight down as he is surely headed for a short life with big big health issues, even though he's apparently living in denial. It's a shame. Maybe we'll start making good changes. I'm only sending you this note as I'm sure you have gotten negative reaction. I want you to know that some people totally agree with your comments. Thank you, Jeff. Another email, Carmela, who is a doctor. Hello, too. I am a physician and have had weight issues most of my life on and off, like a lot of us. I have thought many times about the New Jersey governor. I have been very impressed by his politics, but too worry about the obvious. In addition, the obesity and diabetes epidemics in this country are ruining lives and costing billions, and she is so right. Just wanted to send a quick note of support. I know that your heart was and in the right place. Thank you, Dr. Dr. C. Uh, Ananda from Scottsdale is on my side. Thank you so much, Ananda. Cheryl uh, in Arizona, Cheryl and Casey, uh, he's a doctor. Connie, Casey and I just saw you on TV, wanted to say we're very proud of you. You have more courage than those ice hockey players who were getting slammed up against the plexiglass at that game we went to. You go, girl, the truth is always the right path. Thank you, dear Cheryl and Dr. Casey. Uh, John O. says... Saw you on TV last night. You were so kind to Governor Christie. I would have called him something more like an eating machine or a pig. Ooh, that's mean. 
And I agree with your assessment. It does not take an MD to figure out he is health risk. Glad you spoke the truth. Thank you, John. Oh, painful. Bill from San Diego, I heard your name mentioned on the news. We sort of met at a meeting in September in San Diego. Must be frustrating to have a fat pig like Chrissy running his mouth after you said those things about obesity. Hilarious. Don't pay attention. Consider a source. Uh, Another friend from our show, Marcy, I'm at the gym. Just saw your follow-up. You absolutely hit the ball out of the friggin' park. The man is a bully. Thanks, Marcy. And then the final one, and again, we've got about 100 of these. Uh, good ones. I don't show the. These are my shout outs. I don't play my shout at me because I don't. I don't need that negative energy, guys. You know. But um, I'll tell you why. Because of this show. Uh, this is from Tom and Kathleen, and I was really touched by this. It says, "Dear Dr. Mariano, my name is Tom. I held his last name, and I am a retired executive. I first saw you in Mayo's Executive Health Program. I think it was 2002." I was in my late 40s with no obvious serious health issues, but I was on the edge of being obese. I lived a high-stress but generally sedentary lifestyle but didn't feel ill in any way. When I met with you at the end of the day, to be blunt, you read me the riot act. You told me in a very polite but very direct way essentially the same things you have been quoted saying about Governor Christie. But unlike Governor Christie, I took your words to heart. You told me it wasn't too late, but time was running out for me to get my act together and start exercising and losing weight. While I haven't been perfect, I dropped 40 pounds. Yay, congratulations. Became more physically active and felt great. I've also gradually altered my diet. With my wife's support, I started reducing my intake of meat and over several years transitioned from flexitarian to vegetarian and for the last two years to vegan. Good for you. I could not do that if I had not followed your advice. While these are all the decisions that I have made for myself, I have never, ever forgotten that afternoon when you sat me down, spoke bluntly and truthfully to me about my health. My father had his first heart attack at the age of 45. I'm now approaching the age of 59 and feel great. I'm hopefully far away from a heart attack or any other serious health issues. Governor Christie is a fool for not listening to your advice. Thank you for being so honest and direct with me over a decade ago. Thank you, William. You're so kind. So, you know, it has been an interesting week. Um, It... uh, Ups and downs. I mean, it's a free country. We believe in free speech. I'll tell you why I started this radio show. I got sick and tired of negative press in the media. And on November 29th, I opened this show. I pay for my show myself, so I am the sponsor. I can say anything I damn well please. It's a free country. But I also believe in being positive, guys. And I'm sorry of those insulting remarks people have made towards him. Um, you know, when somebody is obese, it is not a character issue. It's a health issue. And the bottom line was I wanted him to get some help, and I care about that because I wanted somebody uh, who had uh, qualities uh, as a leader uh, to step forth and be a viable candidate in our next election. So that was a firestorm. That was the uh, battle of the bulge. But let me talk about a little bit of obesity. It's the whole topic. It's a medical condition in which excess body fat has accumulated to the extent that it may have an adverse effect on your health, and it does lead to reduced life expectancy and increased health problems. U.S. Health Task Force, you can go online to look at your body mass index. If you're over 30%, you're considered obese. It increases the likelihood, again, as I mentioned, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, certain types of cancer, osteoarthritis. Uh, 365,000 deaths in the U.S. attribute to obesity. When somebody is over 40% body mass index, their life expectancy drops 10 years. The costs are numerous in billions. 
uh, in obesity. It is a killer of so many Americans. It is the leading preventable cause of death worldwide, increasing the number of deaths in adults and children uh, in our century. And, you know, God bless Michelle Obama for her efforts with childhood obesity. But the costs for human suffering are amazing because many people suffer from this. People who are obese suffer from people bullying them and hassling them all their lives. Uh, it becomes a disorder not only of excess intake, less output in terms of working out, uh, but uh, insufficient sleep, we're finding out, uh, health eating habits where people eat late at night. Uh, a lot of people have used the old adage uh, to patients. Uh, old doctors used to say this. Uh, you know, when do you eat? You eat breakfast like a king. You eat lunch like a prince, and you have dinner like a pauper. But I also look at the psychological issues of obesity and our relationship with food. Food can be a drug. It comforts, it comforts us as well as nourishes us. And we had uh, speaker Dr. Julia Ney on our show uh, early on in this season. And listen to that interview about eating disorders. Uh, again, it says nothing about you as a person. You're a good person. It has nothing to do whether you're good or bad. Uh, it's a killer of people, and I want people to take it seriously. If we can reach one person out there who would look at Governor Christie and say, you know what, I, I feel his pain, man. I feel his pain. I'm going to do something so that they don't die of heart disease. Um, people ask me about my work in the presidency, and I've, I've been blessed to be a survivor of three presidential campaigns. And one of the things that comes up, uh, any candidate, they're always going to look at, they have a weight issue. I will predict that each of the candidates in 2016 who are running for office will be asked for their medical records, stand by. But the other last note I want to mention, as a retired military officer, the commander-in-chief, I really believe, and this is my personal opinion as an American and as a retired military officer, naval admiral, uh, active duty for 24 years, I really believe that if you want to run for commander-in-chief, I believe that you should fulfill the weight requirements that are given to the armed forces, okay? That whatever we set the standards for our generals and our admirals, that you should fulfill that. So with that, that's food for thought. And I'm going to have you come back after this break. We're going to talk about uh, people who kill the president with author Brad Meltzer calling in from Florida. Uh, he's going to talk about his new book, The Fifth Assassin. And then after that, we're going to talk about saving the president with Mr. Bob Prospero, who is retired Secret Service agent and who is with President Reagan at the time of his assassination attempt. Last time we had that happen. So stay tuned for the Dr. Connie House Calls. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. 
The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with Great Spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel, coming soon. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back. And please, you can follow us on Twitter, drconnie.com. Is that it? Oh, at Dr. Connie. So please follow us on Twitter. I am so honored today to introduce our next guest, uh, Brad Meltzer. He is a superstar. He is a New York Times bestselling author. And I was fortunate to meet Brad about three or four, oh, how many years ago? 2006. It was Thriller Fest when I was uh, learning about writing books. I met Brad. I think I sat at the same table. He was a very friendly, amazing guy. Uh, writer, uh, medical thriller writer, Michael Palmer, who was my mentor at the time, said, you need to meet Brad Meltzer. He's a god. He's amazing. So I met Brad, and then Brad came out, I think, the following year for a book signing. I came to his book signing. We had dinner. And then when I wrote my book, uh, The White House Physician, My Presidents, My Patients for Presidents, a memoir, 
Uh, Brad was so kind to read it and blurb for me, which is what your friendly author friends do. They blurb. So his latest book, The Fifth Assassin, came out a few weeks ago. It's on the bestseller list. Let me tell you a little bit more about Brad. Uh, he is a New York Times bestselling author of The Inner Circle, as well as bestsellers The Tenth Justice, Dead Even, The First Council, The Millionaires, The Zero Game, The Book of Fate, and The Book of Lies. You have the best names for his books. He was raised in Brooklyn and Miami. He's a graduate of the University of Michigan and Columbia Law School. Uh, amazing. Uh, his latest book is out. Brad, welcome on our show. Thanks, Dr. Connie. Always good to be here. I appreciate it. Tell me about your latest book that came out. Well, it's about this doctor who has to square off on national television with a governor. Oh, really? How does it end? I mean, I, I let you, you tell me how it ends. I, I'm just <laughs> all saying that I'm saying love your way. That's the only reason I bring it up. Oh, you're your so way. cool. Well, tell me about this great new book that you have out. Yeah, you know, um, people, you know, I do a TV show for the History Channel called Decoded, and because of the show, no one gets crazier email than me. I mean, no one gets sent more proof um, that they're aliens or that Abraham Lincoln is gay than me. Everyone gets, you know, they send me every crazy theory out there. And then sometimes you get someone, as you know, who sends a letter that's worth reading. And a longtime reader said to me, Brad, I work at a museum in Washington, D.C. that almost nobody knows about, and you have to come see what we have here. And I said, well, well, tell me what you have first. And he said, well, we have pieces of Abraham Lincoln's skull. We have the bones of John Wilkes Booth. And we have the actual bullet that killed Abraham Lincoln. Oh, wow. And I was like, that was my reaction. Oh, wow. Who knew <laughs> that the government still has this stuff? So I go down to Washington, and they don't just have artifacts from the Lincoln assassination, but they have artifacts from some of the other assassinations as well. And it gets me thinking, you know what? There have been over two dozen assassination attempts on the president of the United States. Four have been successful. So what if it was a serial killer, and this is where the plot takes over, so uh, what if it's a serial killer who's meticulously recreating the crimes of all the presidential assassins from John Wilkes Booth to Lee Harvey Oswald? Oh, wow. And to him, to him they're not just four lone wolves. They're all working together for the same secret cause and over the course of a century. And he wants to be the fifth assassin. And that's what the book is. It's called The Fifth Assassin. It's the new thriller. Now, tell me, in your book, you, you mentioned about uh, you saw the hidden secret tunnels from below Camp David. I thought we weren't supposed to show you that. Yeah, no, this is, uh, you know you know where they are. Uh-huh. You know that. Um, you know, the funny part is, is every book, listen, they're fiction. I can make up whatever I want. Mm-hmm. But I really love to take readers into places they've never been before. And I knew about Camp David, but I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I, I know you've been there, but to me, it was like I've heard of the Pan- Camp David Peace Accords, but what do they do there? What's going on there? And I found out, you know, obviously it's this presidential playground. It's a place where the presidents can bowl and they can ski shoot and they can go swimming. And one of the things uh, I found is the best perk of Camp David, as you know, is there's no press allowed unless mm-hmm. the president wants it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the Secret Service agents said to me that when Bill Clinton was elected president, they said, you can go to Camp David, sir. And he said, well, I have bad allergies. And they said, well, there's no press allowed. And they said on that day his allergies were cured. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I love that story. But then we found, as you know, that there really is a secret tunnel that runs below Camp David. And um, I won't ruin where it is, but right. I was to change it. we changed the security you know, codes for it because I always try to be very careful about that. Good but for you. When, you. when you read Chapter 97 of The Fifth Assassin, you will see where it comes out. You'll see one of the thoughts. You'll see what's down there. And, and you know, again, I don't want to ruin Chapter 97, but, but you'll see it in the novel. Now tell me, you have a relationship with a former patient of mine, very beloved patient, uh, President George Herbert Walker Bush. How did you, how did you start up that association? You know, um, the funny thing is, uh, I've gotten letters over the years. I've gotten letters from Bill Clinton when people sent him some of my novels. 
And a couple of years ago, I got a letter out of nowhere from former President Bush, senior 41, who said to me he liked my novel, The Millionaires, and would I sign a copy for him? And I was like, sir, you're the leader of the free world. I'll send you a free book. Don't worry. It's on me. Um, and the truth was, is I, I was so fascinated that I said, can I come see what your life is like? Can I see what it's like that you're the leader of the free world one day, and the next day you have to stop at red lights like the rest of us? And I went out there, spent nearly a week in Houston with the Bushes. Um, and the truth is, is over the course of the past decades, just become a dear friend. And um, as you know, one of the great men in our country. And uh, again, I can make up whatever I want. These are thrillers. But when I was writing The Fifth Assassin, I realized there are only a few people on this planet who know what it's like to sit in the White House and know that someone's out there trying to kill you. When you and follow... So, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, and so I got to ask him, what is it like? So yeah. I, you know, I, and, and say, you know, what, are you scared in that moment? And his reactions are what you'll see on the president in my book. You'll, you'll see, you know, a very, very real reaction as opposed to one that I just made up. When you traveled with him, you had that week with him, what surprised you about what you saw? Um, you know, I think, uh, for me, I think it's, the, it's just the, the, the sheer fact that he's a human being. And I know that sounds so silly, but, you know, when you write, especially when you write thrillers, it's really easy to write a cliché president. All you got to do is write... Yes, Mr. President. No, Mr. President. Have everyone run around? Mm -hmm. And um, and it was just, you know, he spent the first half hour when we were there trying to convince my wife that he invented the phrase, you to man. And I, that was just funny to me. It was just a hysterical, great joke and showed a sense of humor. And I was like, you know what? I got to see a person as opposed to a president. Mm -hmm. And I think it really, for me, um, and, and I think there were just little things. You know, I, I think walking into a room and being there when every head turns, but yet no one comes over to speak to you, it's just an odd phenomenon, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Everyone wants to talk to you, but no one's coming close because they're all kind of scared, kind of in awe. Right. And, you know, I really think it changed the way I write about the White House and the presidency when I write my thrillers. What's the next thriller coming up? Are you still, are you working on that? You know, I'm so, like, I, for two years now, I've been, I've been covered with assassins, and, and this character that I write, Beecher, he's just obsessed with history. So Beecher in this book, you know, there's a dead body, and, and he sees uh, that when you see the dead body and the cops are there, he sees a little hole drilled into the doorway. And in that hole drilled in the doorway, he thinks, wait, John Wilkes Booth, back when he killed Abraham Lincoln, drilled a hole in the doorway. And then he sees that in the umbrella stand, there's a piece of, of wood. And he, and he remembers that John Wilkes Booth brought a piece of wood into Lincoln's box to, to bar the door so he could kill Abraham Lincoln. And so while the police see a murder scene, what he sees is a recreation of one of the greatest crimes in all of American history, the death of Abraham Lincoln. And so for two years now, I've been studying presidential deaths and, and all these assassinations. So in a strange odd way, what I'm doing in the next book um, is kind of keeping my character, Beecher, who just can use his brain and is so smart, and whose best weapon is, is his, his mind and his love of history, and bringing him into the next novel as well. Who is Beecher? Is it you? Uh, you know, I think Beecher, he, Beecher is not just my wish fulfillment, but Beecher protects me. You know, I think when I, you know, when you write a book, there's all the things you mean to put in the book. And then when that first draft is done, you look at the things you didn't even realize you were putting in there. And when I step back from writing The Fifth Assassin and, and I look back at what it was, I realize, oh, what's, what do I put in this book? Beecher's grown up in this book. That's what he's doing here. And of course, he's grown up. You know, you know this. Uh, we've talked about this book. You know, this is the first book I've written since both my parents have passed away. And as a result, I had no choice but for the past two years to be growing up. So I think Beecher, um, again, is, is a little bit of me, but he's also what protects me. 
Well, I'm, you know, you're such a prolific, wonderful writer. You, you not only do the novels, you did your nonfiction, Heroes for My Son, Heroes for My Daughter. What inspired you to do those? You know, um, you, you know my love of my children. And on the yeah. night my son was born 11 years ago, I said, I'm going to write a book that lasts his whole life. And I went home that night he was born, and I started writing rules for him to live by. You know, love God and be nice to the fat kid in class. Just try to give him good rules to live by. And the truth was, I knew nothing about being a parent. I just wanted to, I just loved my son. And then a friend of mine, Simon Sinek, told me this amazing story about the Wright brothers, which is that every time the Wright brothers went out to try to fly their plane, they would bring enough extra materials for multiple crashes, which means every time they went out, they knew they would fail. And they would crash and rebuild and crash and rebuild, and that's why they took off. And I said, I love that story. I want my sons to hear that story. I want my daughter to hear that story. I want everyone to know that if you dream big and you work hard and you have a good side order of stubbornness, you can do anything in this world. And I said, that's the book I want to write. Not a book of rules, but a book of heroes. And so we put out Heroes for My Son, which is a collection of heroes from Rosa Parks to Jim Henson to Mr. Rogers. And then last year we uh, we did Heroes for My Daughter because my daughter was like, where's my book? And I just love that, you know, you know the last hero in the book is my mom. Yeah. But for your listeners, the best hero in the book is on the last page because the last pages in the book are blank. And they say, your hero's photo here and your hero's story here. And I promise you, you take a picture of your mom or your dad or a grandparent or a military member of your family, and you put them in this book, and it will be the most important hero and heroes for my son and heroes for my daughter. Well, Brad Meltzer, I want to tell you something. You are my hero. You're an incredible author, a contributor to the literary world. Uh, you're just a basically good guy. You're inspiring. You're creative. You're humble. You know, you are the epitome of just an incredible author and talent. So I thank you for all these great books. Everybody loves your books. I love your books. I wish you continued many years of great writing, and thank you so much for being my show. I want everybody to go out and get your latest book, The Fifth Assassin. So thank you, Brad. Thank you, and listen, thanks for the help with the White House tips. You know you're in those acknowledgments. I know. You're so kind. Thanks again, Brad. You're the best. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 
You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, the last segment we had author Brad Meltzer, New York Times bestselling author, whose recent book, The Fifth Assassin, came out. And please get a copy. It's a great read. One of the things we talked about as he was ending this, he talked about his two nonfiction books, Heroes for My Son, Heroes for My Daughter. And uh, maybe that should have been the theme is really about our heroes because the organization of men and women who I consider heroes, having worked with them with nine years, are the United States Secret Service. And I'm very honored to have in our studio today uh, Mr. Robert DeProspero, who is a retired Secret Service agent and a dear friend of mine. Let me give you a little bit of his background. Uh, Bob DeProspero was an assistant director and special agent in charge of the Presidential Protective Division, PPD, United States Secret Service. He was responsible for planning, organizing, coordinating, and directing the protection of U.S. presidents and members of their family. He was signed to protect former President Eisenhower and Presidents Johnson, Ford, Carter, and Reagan. So it's one, two, three, four, five presidents. Uh, he earned his bachelor's degree in physical education and master's degree at West Virginia University. He served as a commissioned officer in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, he has many awards, including two U.S. Treasury Awards for Extraordinary Performance and the State Outstanding West Virginia Italian American Award. He is a member of the School of Physical Education Hall of Fame and the WVU Academy of Distinguished Alumni. Following his retirement from the Secret Service, he became president of O'Gara Protective Services, providing security counsel to allied governments and corporations. So, Bob, welcome to the Dr. Connie House Calls. Thank you, Dr. Connie. You know, one of the things I remember at the White House was talking to Rich Miller, who was the SAC under George Herbert Walker Bush, and we had very sobering talk about assassination. And I said, what do you think, I mean, about assassination, about, you know, the role of the White House Medical Unit? And he looked at me, and he just reminded me of Clint Eastwood. He said, Connie... It's not when, it's not if, excuse me, it's not if, it's when the next assassination is. And so our last assassination attempt was on your watch in 1981. I was a med student in Bethesda then, and you were at the White House. Can you share with our audience what it was like during our last presidential assassination, where you were and how it went? Sure. In my particular situation, I uh, was the deputy at that time. There was a man named Jerry Parr who was the agent in charge. And it was a policy for one of the supervisors to go accompany the president when he left the White House, especially in uh, outside of the White House or outside of Washington, D.C., or, or uh, certainly on a foreign trip. So uh, on this particular occasion, it was a question as to whether or not Jerry was going to be the senior agent or I was going to be the senior agent. But as it turned out, Jerry went. And um, following uh, his appearance at the hotel, we knew that he was coming out, and I was in the security room listening to the communication, which is uh, usually done by the shift leader. The shift leader was telling us that they were departing the Hilton Hotel, and uh, there was a shooting. And as you know from having been there, that the uh, media always monitors the radio frequencies from the Secret Service. So 
Ray Shattuck was trying to be as coy as possible and as surreptitious as possible in what he was telling me. But I could sort of read between the lines. Mm-hmm. And I knew for certain that when uh, Jerry Parr said we're going to deviate from coming back to the White House, we're going to go to the hospital. I knew that it was a, a serious situation. And at that point, uh, the director of the Secret Service walked into our security room and the two of us beat it over to the hospital. And the only thing we could do at that point was to uh, joint in the effort to secure the hospital because even though we had an agent there, we didn't have all the outer perimeter secured. We didn't have uh, the inner perimeter secured. We didn't have the agents who were screening what doctors and nurses were going to have access to the president. Uh, and we didn't know what degree of injury the president had. However, um, we, we worked together very quickly. The doctors diagnosed what the problem was very quickly because he had broken a lung, uh, a rib, and punctured a lung. And he was bleeding pretty badly. And I had been told several times after that that had we not got him there that quickly, uh, he would have probably uh, died from bleeding uh, within the next four or five minutes. Whose decision was it to, to go to GW Hospital versus Crown, versus yes. the White House? Yes, well, uh, for every movement that the president makes, there is always a designated hospital along the route or along the uh, location where the event is going to be held. And so that's part of uh, the, the advance that's being done. So that hospital was chosen, and we knew the routes, and we knew exactly how to get there and where the emergency room was. Uh, so anyway, following the time that we got there and we set up this security, uh, Jerry had to be le- relieved administratively because it's a policy of the Secret Service. Then the FBI steps in and does an investigation. So I stayed with the president at that point. Were you in the OR or where, where did you go? I was in the uh, emergency room. I was in the operating room and I was wow. in the recovery room. When you came up to see him, did he, did, was he conscious? Did he recognize you? He recognized me, but he was, uh, I, and I don't know the technical terms, but he had tubes down his, you know, his mouth. Tube. He had tubes oh. in his nostrils. He's intubated. He was he's struggling to breathe. Yeah. But he still maintained a very macho, macho uh, demeanor. And I don't know, this is probably very popular, but he was writing notes. Uh, Even when he was into, he had the tubes in him, he was writing notes? he was writing notes. And so he would pass those notes to me and I would pass them to the doctor. So from a comic standpoint, the first note said, I hope all these doctors are Republicans. Mm -hmm, mm Do you remember that? Yeah. Shows his sense of humor, even though he's almost dying. That's right. The second note said, all in all, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. (laughs) Third note said, can we retake that scene? Oh, my goodness. And the fourth one said, and apparently this was directed to Mrs. Reagan, and Mm -hmm. he said, "Uh, honey, I forgot to duck. What did you do with those notes? Do they keep them? I kept those notes for a while, but Mrs. Reagan wanted them badly, so I turned them over to Mrs. Reagan. Was she back at the White House when all this was going on? She was back at the White House for a period of time, but once he was in surgery, she was at the 
uh, hospital. hospital. Yeah, George Offer, who was the agent with her, brought her back there. And she insisted on coming back. Was it pandemonium in the ER when you got there? No. No, it was okay? No, because uh, they, they knew exactly. Uh, we were able to uh, give them some indication of what the problem the president mm-hmm. was having. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jerry Parr was able to examine the blood that he was seeing and, and, and had determined that it was oxygenated blood. Mm-hmm. So he knew that he should be taken to the hospital. Now, yeah. who's your White House? That was Dr. Rugi. Dr. Rugi. Dr. Rugi. Vascular surgeon. I met him years ago. Very. He passed away, unfortunately, about five or six years ago. He's in Colorado. That's right. But was he at the scene? Did, what, what happened with Dr. Rugi? He was at the scene, but uh, what transpired was the, the limo left, the pilot car left, the follow-up car left, but the other parts of the motorcade did not make it. And Dr. Ruby was in the in the uh, staff car, mm-hmm. but he got to the hospital subsequently. So, so you got? Did you scrub in and go into the OR with yes. him too? Yes. So you were there. Yes. Wow, all that time during the entire surgery, when that was all happening, did you fear he would die? Yes. Yes, uh, most people, uh, and it was always mitigated mm-hmm. after that. Before it, they really tried to hold down mm-hmm. the severity of it, but. Later on, it came out that he could have passed away in a very short period of time. One of the theories that he did so well was that the crew there was the usual emergency room crew that handles gunshot wounds. It was like a usual day. and you know, It wasn't the usual list of the chairmen of all the departments. It's the guys who did all the bread and butter resuscitation. They were just, and it, it didn't dawn on them until later that, oh, my God, this is the president of the United States. I'm intubating. I'm, I'm, you know, they just all went into action as though this yes. were any shooting victim in, in Washington. Yes. So they all kicked in. But you stayed with them through the entire surgery and then up into recovery and then. And actually, I went home and got about three hours sleep and came back and stayed with him for the majority of the next three days. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, when a president is injured or ill, it, it's, it, it takes its toll on a lot of people there. You know, America feels uncertain. And, and at the time, it was the issue of the 25th Amendment. And we know if you look at constitutional law, it's really the vice president. But I think Alexander Haig stepped up and said, I'm in charge, which was incorrect. But as a result of everything during the assassination attempt on Reagan, we looked at it. The White House Medical Unit looked at it, looked at how they trained. They realized they had to train more often with Secret Service. They had to carry blood. So they learned a lot about that. Are you able to share anything about how Secret Service changed or lessons they learned? Well, there is is one uh, policy that we changed, and it was uh, largely my insistence, and that is that instead of having just a survey done on the hospital, knowing what doctors are there and what kinds of equipments and facilities would be there, uh, we insisted that there would be uh, an agent posted there. Mm-hmm. And his responsibility then would be to tell the surgeons what kind of injury is coming in, set up the immediate security, localize uh, the security by calling the local police department, setting up the perimeters of security. So that was all done after that. It would have been done uh, had we had that arrangements before that. When uh, President Clinton tore his quadriceps tendon in West Palm Beach during his presidency, we were coming from West Palm uh, 
actually from Jupiter, Florida, to West Palm, and the agent had secured everything. It was everything went smoothly because they had everything under control. Yes. And, you know, they cleared it out. They knew what was going on. So it's a lot of work. And, you, you know, you benefit from learning about near tragedies like this so that hope that never happens again. But, again, you can't predict. And you, I know you guys work very hard to look at threats and do everything you can in the field to protect them. But it's one of the challenges of keeping the president alive. So I want everybody to stay on. We, we're going to a break. We're going to come back. I, I want to end the show talking more with uh, Bob DeProspero, retired Secret Service agent, a wonderful career. I want to talk about a little bit what brought you here to the Valley, uh, a little bit of that about your relationship with the Reagans, uh, with Nancy Reagan, if you can share with that. And uh, come back in a few minutes, everybody. Wanna want you to listen in. Thank you. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated. Hear about success stories and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back. We're enjoying our conversation with Bob DeProspero, who lives here in Arizona. He is a veteran of the United States Secret Service, served honorably for many years during his time, served five American presidents. And we were talking about the assassination attempt on President Reagan, but he has a story he tells about uh, Mike Deaver. Can you share with us that story before the assassination? Yes. Uh, Mike Deaver was uh, a real friend of the Secret Service, and I think he uh, occupied that position because of a man named John Simpson. 
John Simpson was the man that was with President Reagan and Mrs. Reagan during their first attempt at the presidency. Mm-hmm. And uh, he established such rapport with them so that there was the utmost trust and confidence in the Secret Service. That was later passed on to me, and it was accepted by the staff. So I had a very good rapport with Mike Deaver, and he was the deputy chief of staff. So I was at the White House on one Sunday, which was March the 29th, the day before the attempted assassination, and I got a call from Mike Deaver, and he said, uh, President wants to go to St. John's Church. And I said, uh, well, what time is he going? And it was in about 15 minutes. I said, Mike, that's not a lot of time, but I'll get the motorcade over here, and uh, I'll try to get my agents at the church, and, it, you know, went out. The uh, the uh, geography of that is to cross Pennsylvania Avenue, cross Lafayette Park, and St. John's Church is right there. And so he says, well, you don't have time to get to motorcade. We're going to walk. So I beat it over to the, uh, to the mm-hmm. mansion where the president was going to be leaving from. And we walked out the north gate. And as we did so, I was telling Mike, Mike, this is just not a good idea. And he says, are you telling me that the president of the United States can't walk on Pennsylvania Avenue? And I said, Mike, that's exactly what I'm telling you, unless you give us the opportunity to set up the kind of security that we have during the inauguration. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that right now. And so uh, the conversation got a little bit heated. It got so heated that the president turned around and said, hey, guys, you know, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. What's what's the problem? And we both dismissed it and said, nothing, Mr. President. So uh, we went to church. But while we were in the church, I brought the motorcade back up so we'd have an armor car to get back to the White House. We got in the armor car and came back. The next day was March 30, 1981. And so following that, about a week after that, while the president was recuperating, Mike came to me and he said, I want to do everything the Secret Service wants to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. So I was put, you know, like into a perfect storm where I could instill some of the security procedures that we wanted and were unable to get previously. Yeah, it bore it bore truth there, definitely. Yes. You know, one of the things I learned about being at the White House was you listen to Secret Service because – you know, we can't intervene unless you protect them. And so we always stand back. I always tell, I always train the doctors, let the agents do their thing. They're there to protect protect him. We're there to support the agents and anything medical, but get out of their way. You know, get out of the kill zone. I always tell people, well, why aren't you always standing beside the president? That's the kill zone, guys. Stay out of the way of the agents. Let them do their job. And one of the things I always benefited from was when we trained at Beltsville with the agents, simulating yes. an attack on the principal. Yes. Because there you go. You pretend and you really appreciate what you guys look at in a crowd. Uh, your maneuvers, and you, you sort of anticipate your next move, and you become more or less in the operational protective manner. People go, well, what did you do? Did you give Tylenol all the time? He said, no. You know, you assume sort of a paramilitary uh, PPD-type action. I said, you mimic or simulate, observe what the agents are doing, and you stay out of their way, but you're close enough to see, but far far enough the way to be protected because you don't want to be a victim, okay? You can't help the president if you're dead. Let the agents do what they need to do, and then Get yourself in a position where you can help. And I always think of that. We learned so much from assassination attempts um, on the president. Briefly, tell me any highlights you have from the White House years of President Reagan or anything else that comes to mind. 
Well, I mean, if you're talking about personal highlights, yeah. uh, uh, I told my wife when I first got into the Secret Service and served with LBJ at the White House, I said, you know, if you work your way up through the Secret Service and you get an opportunity to have some of the posh assignments as the SAIC, you know, most people are looking to go to Honolulu or Paris or Miami or something like that. But the job that I would love to have, even though it carries with it so much more stress, so much more hours of uh, operation, uh, I would prefer to be the SAIC of PPD. However, it comes with a caveat. I would like to have a president who is sensitive and cooperative. And that's exactly what I got from the president. And uh, I can remember there were times when we would go to the ranch and he jumped into this Jeep and the Labrador receiver, <laughs> uh, retriever would jump in. I'd jump in the Jeep and we would go out uh, into the uh, fields and he would build fences and cut brush. And uh, it was just the two of us. And he loved to tell jokes and, and uh, he was just a, a great guy. And so one day I told him, you know, Mr. President, you're out here whistling and enjoying yourself. And I said, my responsibility is you and I can't sleep at night. But I enjoyed all of my uh, time with the president. He, he was he was just a great guy. You know, there uh, the one those of us who've been able to serve. That's what we remember, the, the personal, the people aspects, how they treated us. Uh, I spent most of my time with Bill Clinton, and he had the ability to make you feel important. He was kind. He was funny. He was sensitive. He was thoughtful. Uh, you know, those human qualities that always stand out. What people remember, you know, was he kind? President uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, again, uh, Brad Meltzer talked about his kindness, that he was a real person. And I think people remember that, and I think that's what makes them great, yes. is their, their ability to be real people, kind, good, understanding, forgiving, um, and just memorable in that sense and, and make them greater leaders, I think, because they understand how people are. But any final comments before we wrap up the show? <laughs> well, I know that there's a lot of uh, a lot more uh, attention on the Secret Service now because of some of the events that have happened recently, uh, like the Cartagena mm -hmm. uh, situation. But uh, I just want to assure people that the Secret Service has not changed in the sense that you still have a great deal of many dedicated men who are working hours and hours over their normal uh, periods of time, who are willing to uh, do exactly what they're supposed to do according to their training. Uh, and the closer they get and to the point where they are uh, higher supervisors and they become close to the president, they, they reach a point when they're going to have to answer the question, am I going to do what I'm supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And if they can't answer that question, they leave that situation. So uh, most of them are able to answer that question. To be able to take a bullet for the president yes. takes incredible dedication. Yes. And I salute all you people, the men and women in the United States Secret Service. You guys are my heroes. And also to Mark Sullivan, who is retiring as uh, director a great guy. I wish him a successful life after the Secret Service. Thank you for your service, Mark. And thank you all for listening today to Dr. Connie, Dr. Connie's House Calls, uh, listening into Brad Meltzer, author of Fifth Assassin, and also to retired Secret Service agent Bob DeProspero. Thank you, Bob, for your service, being a great American. You all have a good night, and God bless. Mm -hmm.
Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.